This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. You guys can go ahead and grab a seat. Good morning, everybody. Well, it's, it's good to be back with you. Uh, I just had a week of vacation with my wife. We celebrated our 10-year anniversary a little bit early. Yeah? So that was fun. Although our anniversary is not till September, so I wondered, do we have to like do something else? Then, September, right, babe? Okay, thank goodness. Uh, yeah, we went to Jamaica for a week. It was awesome. It was Jamaican me happy all week long. And I came back, and now it's 59 degrees and rainy. Welcome to Petaluma. It's just good to be home. Uh, hey, so glad you're here. Happy Mother's Day, moms. You guys can share for the moms. Happy Mother's Day, moms. We love you. We're so glad you're here. Uh, some of you are here today because you wanted, to, you wanted to give your mom a gift to come to church, or you wanted to give your wife the gift of you coming to church. I had, I had one man say to me, his mom's here with him today. He said, you know, my mom's been praying for years that I would find a church, and he's been coming to New Life for the last uh, couple months now. And he gave his mom the gift that she always wanted. And, and for some of you, today might be your first time at church, but, but I believe that God might just grab you today. And that you might continue to come and engage with him. And you could actually give your mom or give your wife the best gift that she's, she's always wanted for you, which is to have a relationship with God. And so I'm just praying that that happens for many of us today. And so for, mothers, for many of us, Mother's Day is a great day. Uh, I've told you before that being married to me is, is quite the journey for my wife. That you guys get me in, in bite-sized pieces, a half hour here, a half hour there. And it's very fun. You like that. But could you imagine all the time? It's exhausting for her, you know? I was looking for the perfect Mother's Day card, and I couldn't find it, so I just, I just, I said it to her this morning. You know, she rolled over in bed, and I said, blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. That's what I said to her this morning. She just rolled her eyes and said, and I laughed and laughed, because that was so funny. I just, so happy Mother's Day, Maria. I love you. For, for some of us, though, I just want to acknowledge that in a room this size, Mother's Day brings up some some regret for some of us, some, some pain for some of us. For some of us, maybe we haven't been able to have kids or we've, we've, we've lost children, uh, kind of like the story that Sarah shared. And, and I want you to know I'm praying for you today. And actually, normally after service, I run around and I meet people out in the parking lot because I love to greet you if you're brand new. And if you are new, I would love to greet you. But today I'm going to do something a little different. After service, I'm just going to hang out up here. Uh, and if, if you have some pain or some regret or some hurt around Mother's Day, I would just love to pray for you. So if that's you, I just want you to know I'm available. I'll be over here. I would just love to pray for you because we love you. We know God loves you and that God is with you today. Whether today is an extreme high or, or there are feelings of pain and some regret around today, boy, God loves you this morning and wants to meet you right here at church. So welcome to New Life. Uh, when you came in, you should have received a program. There are a few things you're going to want to grab out of here. One is this card that says Start Here. It's our connection card. It just helps us stay connected to you, helps you stay connected to us. And whether it's your first time or your hundredth time, I would just ask you, go ahead and put your name on that because we'll be using it a little bit later this morning. If you're a guest with us, would you put your email address on this? I'm not going to ask you to do anything with it yet, but if I've earned your trust over the next half hour or so, I'll just ask you when some baskets are passed later, just drop this card in the basket. This gives you access to our pastoral team and it gives us a way to connect with you should you want to take some next steps on your spiritual journey. So go ahead and grab that. The other thing you're going to want to grab are your teaching notes. They tell you the Bible verses we're looking at today. They've got some fill in the blanks. They've got some discussion questions for you to take some next steps as well. So you can go ahead and get that ready. Well, I I don't know about you, but I like to be noticed when I do good things. Am I the only one who likes to be noticed when they do good things? Uh, Yeah, you like to be noticed, and I acknowledge you. 
for that. Yeah, fantastic. Uh, I was talking to Maria, my wife, recently, and she does a lot of the tangibles around the house, you know, like, like a lot of the cooking and, and the bills and the scheduling. She does a lot of tangibles. And I said to her, Maria, I just appreciate that you do so many tangibles around our house. I like to think of myself as doing more of the intangibles of family and marriage, you know, like, like wrestling with the kids and making people laugh and being the good time dad. Those are really my strengths. And she rolled her eyes and looked at me, and I realized, oh, I should be doing some more tangibles. This is what I'm learning. So I said, okay, note taken. I will do some tangibles in marriage. So I started doing more tangibles, doing more dishes and and doing some cleaning and folding laundry. And every time I did, I, I would say to Maria, hey, babe, tangibles right here, doing the tangibles of marriage, tangibles of parenting. I said, nailed it. That's what I'd say to her. I nailed it on the tangibles. And I realized there's something in me that when I do good things, I want to be acknowledged for them, right? I want her to see it. And I don't think it's just me. I think all of us, there's something inside of us that wants to be acknowledged as people, especially when we do good things. We don't so much want to be acknowledged when we don't do good things, but when we do good things, we generally, we want to be acknowledged for that. And ultimately, that's not a bad thing, that desire to be acknowledged by other people for the things we do. But it can become like a roller coaster. Have you ever noticed that? People acknowledge what you do and you feel really good, but then the next moment they don't acknowledge something or they see something bad and all of a sudden we come crashing down and our our life, our emotions can be this roller coaster. We feel good and the next minute we feel bad, up, down, up, down. And God never designed for our lives to be a roller coaster with these extreme highs and extreme lows. God designed for us to live, stop that. God designed for us to live in, in freedom. That comes from a steady sense of of knowing that we're loved and valued and valuable. And we're in this series called The Good Life, where we're exploring the Sermon on the Mount, which was Jesus' longest sermon. He, He preached this all in one sitting. Now, we've been breaking it up over about 11 weeks, but it's one long sermon that talks about how to find freedom in life. And because it's one long sermon, he has basically one premise and one big idea that he keeps circling back to. So if you've been coming for the last six weeks or so, you've noticed that we keep circling back to this one big idea because it's Jesus' big idea on how to experience freedom in life. And here's what Jesus says. He says that freedom in life, that, that, that life where you're not constantly doing this, freedom in life comes from knowing who you are at your core and knowing where you live. Not so much demographically, not necessarily Petaluma, but a a bigger reality of of where we live. And here's what Jesus says. He says, if you've become a Christian, a follower of God, if God has moved from distant deity who is sitting out there to your personal heavenly father, here's the reality about who you are. You're a person whose sin has been forgiven. And sin are those destructive patterns that, that we think and say and do And we lay in bed and say, I'm never going to do that again. And then a week later or a month later, we're doing it again. And I don't have to tell you what sin is because you've thought to yourself, why did I do that again? And and it's a cycle because sin has control. But when we become Jesus followers, we become forgiven by God. See, he gave his life to forgive us. We find freedom from that sin. So we don't have to live in these same cycles over and over and over again. And God fills us with his Holy Spirit and God begins to heal us. That's who he says we are. And then get this. If you're a Jesus follower, God says, you're my child. You're my daughter and you're my son. That's who you are at your core. You might have other markers, but those markers may come and go over time. But at your core, you're my child. That's who you are 
And he says, here's where you live. You live in this unseen kingdom, this unseen world called the kingdom of heaven. And the kingdom of heaven, as Jesus laid it out for us, is any place where God's presence and God's power are available to you. And so as Jesus followers, we're told that God's presence and God's power are available to us all the time. And so we live constantly and consistently in this place called the the kingdom of heaven, where when when rain falls down on us and the floods come up, Jesus says, when we go through tragedy and pain and heartache, that God will give us the power to make it through. And ultimately, God one day will make all things right, either in this world or in, in heaven as we enter into eternity, that God wipes every tear from our eye and God actually, he makes all things that were wrong right. So this whole premise to the series is that you and I are kids of God, his daughter, his son, and that you and I live in this unshakable kingdom that even when the walls come crashing down around us, we can't be shaken because we know where we live. And today, Jesus is going to dive into this, this need to be noticed. And if you want to go back and read the sermon, it starts in, uh, in Matthew chapter 5 and goes 5, 6, and 7. You can read it as you go. But he talks about this need to be noticed. And here's what Jesus says. It's not necessarily a bad thing. In fact, that desire to be noticed was put inside of us by God to point us to God. But when we focus that desire in different directions, it actually leaves us trapped in this roller coaster of other people's perspective of us. And we feel highs and lows, and we can never find our center of gravity. So Jesus gives us two examples of how to break free from that trap and actually be known for who we are and live in in freedom in our lives. And he uses two examples, but they point to bigger realities. And here's what he says in Matthew chapter 6. He says, be careful not to practice your righteousness. And and righteousness is a big word that means doing the right thing. Uh, So you're right living. So he says, be careful not to do good things in front of others so that they will see you. Because if you do, you'll have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you, he gives an example, when you give to the needy, for example, Don't announce it with trumpets like hypocrites do in the synagogue. The synagogue was where people would gather together to worship God. It was like the church. Don't do it like the hypocrites do in the synagogue and on the streets because they just want to be honored by other people. Truly, I tell you, if their desire is to be honored by other people, they've received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. And that points to something that was happening in the temple that we'll talk about in a second. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that you're giving maybe in secret. And then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Now again, Jesus is going to use two different examples to point to a bigger reality in life. The first one he uses is generosity or giving. Because in his day, generosity among God followers, kind of like us, generosity was a common practice. Their thought went something like this. God has given so much to me that I want to give a portion back to him as a way to honor him and to thank him for all he's done for me. And we do the same thing each week when we give our offering. That's part of what we're doing. We're saying, God, you've given so much to me that I want to give back to you a portion of that so that you can do in our church and in our city and around the world the things that only you can do. And it's this practice that's continued for thousands of years. But in Jesus' day, it became a status symbol. And so what people would do is they'd have certain times where you'd give, and they'd come in, and they'd make a big deal about it so everybody knew exactly how much they were giving and when they were giving and why they were giving it. And it was like, hey, look at how great I am. So I could go here. 
But Jesus says, if your goal is to be seen by others, then go ahead and do it. Make a big deal about it when you give money or when you do good things. Make a big deal. Other people will see you. And he's not, he's not condemning us. He's just saying, but if that's your goal for other people to see you, then when other people see you, you've received your goal. That's as good as it's going to get for you. And here's the problem. The minute you run out of money and you can't give, the minute you're tired and you can't serve, then all of a sudden people are going to stop seeing you and you're going to go from here, crashing down to here. And Jesus says, I have a better way. You weren't designed to live on a roller coaster of emotions where your identity is tied into the things that you do. He says, I've got a better way for you. He says, let your, instead, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is, is doing. And when you walked into the temple, if you, if you went to Jerusalem when Jesus lived, if you walked into the temple, there would be this offering box on your right-hand side. And what the people would do is they would put their coins in, but they'd drop them really loudly so everybody knew, and it would make a big noise. Be like, hey, check it out. You know, like, or giving the, like giving the money. You know what I'm talking about? Some of you do. If you're like 25 and under, you're like, oh, yeah, I, yeah, I'm giving that. He says, though, he says, don't let your left hand hello, know what your right hand is doing. Just, just drop it in quietly. Drop it in quietly. Why? Because your heavenly father, even if your left hand doesn't know, your heavenly father, he sees you and he knows and he's honored by that. You could say it this way. In the kingdom of heaven, Jesus zooms way out and says, God is always present and he sees us. In the kingdom of heaven, God sees us even when no one else does. Have you ever wondered, do I matter? Am I noticed? Have you ever wondered, if my birthday happens and it's not acknowledged on Facebook, am I really a year older? (laughs) Moms, you do an incredible amount of work that goes unseen. Let's just acknowledge that. Moms, it's like, it's like a full-time job taking care of your husbands. <laughs> then you add your kids on top. It's exhausting. Moms, have you ever wondered, do they even notice everything I do around here? Do my kids even care? Isn't that why we love Mother's Day? It's a day to acknowledge everything you've done that goes unseen for so long. Just one day, moms, you're asking for one day. Maybe you're asking for one weekend. I said to Maria, they don't call it Mother's Weekend. They call it Mother's Day. So we're going to soak this up. I just took her to Jamaica. I got freedom to say all sorts of crazy stuff up here. (laughs) But moms, at our core, at our core, we just want to be acknowledged for the unseen things that we do. Have you ever thought about the fact that even, even when your kids don't acknowledge all the hard work you do, even when your spouse comes home and they don't acknowledge all the hard work you do, that, that God sees all that work? Have you ever thought about that? That God sees the unseen things that no one else sees and that ultimately God will reward you for it? All of a sudden, it doesn't matter if they see or if they don't see because God always sees. And whether he rewards us in this life or he rewards us in heaven, he always rewards us. And then Jesus goes on to another another thing. And, And by the way, once we know that God always sees and always rewards, then if other people see it, that's not bad. It's icing on the cake, though. So now instead of being here, you're like, woo, you're bouncing up here. See, I've heard people, especially Christians, they, 
that come from a pretty strict background, they've read this passage and they've said, no one can know how much money I give, and so I'm going to do it in secret and make it anonymous. That, that's not ultimately what he's saying. What Jesus is saying is not that it has to be this big hidden secret. What he's saying is even if no one else sees, your heavenly Father always sees. So it's okay to be acknowledged when you do good things. That's fine, but that's just icing on the cake. Then he moves on to prayer. Verse 5, he says, And when you pray, don't pray like hypocrites do, because they love standing in the synagogues, standing on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward in full. They've been seen by others just like they wanted to. They're here, but when they stop praying, they go here. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, don't keep on babbling like pagans do. Pagans, by the way, were anyone who didn't believe in God. That's just kind of the broad spectrum term that didn't believe in the God of of the Bible. Don't babble on and on like pagans do because they think that they'll be heard for their many words. See, people who didn't believe in the God of the Bible, they thought that their gods were these like distant deities who were out there and they had to say a lot of words to get their God's attention. So they would yell and scream and shout. And sometimes we see in the Old Testament, they would cut themselves to try to get their God's attention. But Jesus says, your God's not like the other gods of the world. Your God is close to you. He's here and he sees you. So you don't need to babble on and on. Verse eight, don't be like them. And here's why, because your father knows what you need even before you ask him. He already knows. The religious leaders, they had this habit of making these long prayers. They'd have their hands up in the air, and they'd pray on and on until your food got cold. And their goal was, I want you to acknowledge how good I am. Wow, that, you nailed that prayer. That was so good. You must be so close to God. You can pray for so long. Jesus says, that's not what you have to do. Your heavenly Father, even if you're locked in a room by yourself, and he's not saying there's this magic room in your house, But he's saying, even if you're locked in a room by yourself with the door closed, your heavenly Father sees you even when you're praying in secret. And he knows everything you need. Because for the religious leaders, they felt good when others acknowledged them, but the minute their prayer was over, their identity sunk down. And Jesus is saying, you're not designed to live on a roller coaster You could say it like this, in the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus says we live in this kingdom. Even though we can't see it with our our five senses, we live in this kingdom. In the kingdom of heaven, God is with us wherever we go, and he hears us whenever we call. Have you ever stopped to think about that reality? God, the God of the universe, the God who created all this, who created you, he hears you whenever you call out to him whether it's in your mind, words whispered or words said, that God hears you. Have you ever been in a meeting and someone shares this idea and everyone just like applauds their brilliance and you realize, wait a minute, that was my idea. I shared that with them. I gave them that idea. We were having this conversation and they shared my idea and they're getting praised for it. Have you ever had that experience and you just get angry, you just want to shout out, that's my idea. Jesus says you don't have to be hurt when someone steals your idea. And here's why. Because your heavenly father, he knows it was your idea. He heard you. He knows you thought it up. And he's going to reward you. Either it's going to come out in this life that that was your idea, or he'll reward you in heaven. And he does set up rewards for us 
in eternity. See, each of us, we want to be known. It's deep inside of us. It was actually given to us by God. And each of us wants to be acknowledged. And that's not, that's not bad. But the world tells us the only way to be acknowledged is to do good. And when you do good, you get acknowledged. And when you do bad, you don't get acknowledged. And the world's narrative, their story, is that achievement is attached to your value. And the more you achieve, the more valuable you are. And the less you achieve, the less valuable you are. And it leaves us on a roller coaster. It's why a lot of people hit, hit our midlife, and we have a midlife crisis, because we think, have I achieved enough? Have I done enough? Have I made enough of myself? Am I valuable enough? That's why some of us, when we get ready to retire, we think, well, if, I, if, I, if I'm not producing anymore in my career, am I really valuable anymore? Because we bought into this narrative that my identity, my worth, my value is tied into what I do and what people see me doing. And it leaves us on this roller coaster. But Jesus has a different narrative about where your value comes from. He says that desire to be valuable, to feel worthy, it's a good desire. But it doesn't come from here. I feel like I'm at a rave. It, it comes from somewhere deeper. And to know where it comes from, we have to go on a rabbit trail. Will you go there with me for a second? We have to. No? Okay, good, okay. We have to go on a little rabbit trail, but I promise I'm going to bring us back. We're going we're to move forward, we're going to move back before Jesus preached this sermon to the very beginning of one of the biographies of his life, a book called Mark. And in the book of Mark, chapter 1, Jesus is getting baptized. And by the way, we've got a baptism service coming up. If you've never been baptized, baptism is one of the first things that God invites us to do after we give our lives to him. He says, come and be baptized. I'll tell you a little bit more about that in just a second. But Jesus is about to get baptized in Mark chapter 1. And let's just pick up the story. It says, at that time, Jesus of Nazareth, from Nazareth in Galilee, was being baptized by John in the Jordan River. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit of God descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. And this is the voice of God the Father. So in this picture, we've got what's become known as the Trinity, God the Father, Jesus, who is God the Son, and then the Spirit, the Holy Spirit that God has living in, in us. And if you think, I don't understand exactly how the Trinity works, that's okay. That's okay. Neither do I, but here's what I know. I'm just being honest with you. It is a mystery that God is one God, but he, he resides in three distinct ways. As God the Father, Jesus, who's God the Son, and then his Spirit who lives in us. And as Jesus comes up out of the water, the voice of God the Father speaks down to him. And he says this, You are my son, whom I love. And with you, I am well pleased. And here's what strikes me about this passage. God the Father said this to Jesus before Jesus had done very much public ministry, before he had healed anybody, before he'd done any major teaching, this is way before the Sermon on the Mount, this famous sermon. God said this to Jesus before he fed thousands of people with some fish and some bread, before he raised that guy Lazarus from the dead, before he did his big miracles. God said this about Jesus even before he gave his life on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins. He said, you're my son whom I love, and I am pleased with you. Now we've got to ask, why was God the Father pleased with him? If it wasn't based on what he did, what was, 
God so pleased with him for? And the answer comes just before that. He says, you are my son. You're my son. And the reason God the Father was pleased with Jesus was not because of anything he had produced. It was because of his relationship to God. You're my son, and that's why I love you, and that's why I'm pleased with you. Now, here's where it gets mind-blowing, and I don't want you to miss this, okay, because this is like, this is huge. Jesus says that when you enter into a relationship with God, when you come to live in the kingdom of heaven, that you get adopted into God's family. And that just like Jesus was God's son, in a very real way, you are God's daughter. You are God's son. Now let the implications of that sink in. That means that before you do anything, before you achieve or before you fail, God is pleased with you. Why? Because you're his child. And based on that relationship, you are deeply loved by your heavenly father. And he's pleased with you right now. Do you know what that means? That means that your value, your worth, your worthiness is not dependent on what you do. It doesn't go up and it doesn't go down. It stays right here. If you win, God loves you. If you lose, God loves you. If you're pretty, God loves you. If you're not attractive, God loves you. If you feel fat or ugly today, God loves you. If you feel dumb or embarrassed because you misspeak, God loves you. I hold on to this almost every Sunday because there's at least one time in every sermon where I say something and I think that was dumb. Can you guess which one it was this sermon? God loves you. Your worthiness, your value, your worth is not dependent on you saying the right things, doing the right things, giving the right amount of money. Listen, if you give all your money, if you fast, uh, if, if you pray all the time, God loves you. If you're stingy and cheap and sinful and selfish, guess what? God loves you. Now, I know we hear this, but has that sunk in yet? Your worth, your value... It's not dependent on what you do. It's only dependent on your relationship to God. And if you're God's child, then God loves you. You could say it this way. In the kingdom, our value is based on relationship. It's just based on our relationship to God. As God's child, you start out every day from a place of worthiness. You're worthy. This morning, when you woke up and you thought to yourself, am I a mom worth being celebrated today? Do you know what God said about you? You're worthy. Husbands, when you woke up and you thought to yourself, oh my goodness, it's Mother's Day and I forgot. <laughs> Let me tell you, you're in trouble. <laughs> but you're worthy. Okay? And I'm pretty sure there are still flowers at Trader Joe's. So make your way. If you went to the Global Leadership Summit last year, we hosted a, a video site. The Global Leadership Summit is the world's largest leadership conference. 
And it takes place in Illinois, and we host a site here each year. We had over 100 people come to it, and I'm hoping, it's going to be in August this year, I'm hoping you'll sign up. We're going to start talking about the Global Leadership Summit in a few weeks, and signups are going to start happening. Boy, I hope you sign up and join me at it. It's so good. It's some of the top leaders, both Christian and secular leaders around the world, talking about leadership and life, and it's so good. But one of the leaders they had last year was a, was a woman named Brene Brown. And uh, she is, um, she's a doctor, she's a scientist who studies shame and vulnerability in culture. What an interesting topic. And here's what, here's what Brene Brown said. She wrote a book called Daring Greatly, which really unpacks this idea of shame and vulnerability and authenticity and being seen. And she said something in her book that really struck me. She said, a sense of worthiness inspires us to be vulnerable with other people. When we feel worthy, we can actually open ourselves up and be seen by others. A sense of worthiness inspires us to share openly with other people. It inspires us to persevere. Shame, on the other hand, is a value that's based on what we do. Shame keeps us small and resentful and afraid. In her research, she said that in shame-prone cultures, where parents and leaders and administrators consciously or unconsciously encourage people to connect their self-worth to what they produce. She said, I see disengagement, blame, gossip, stagnation, favoritism, and a total dearth of creativity and innovation. What she's saying is this. If you find your sense of worthiness based on what you accomplish— You'll constantly be on a roller coaster, and in the end, you will be a shell of the person you really are. And that thing that you crave being acknowledged by other people, they won't acknowledge you because you're just a shell. But if you find your sense of worthiness in who you are, not in what you do, then you're like a shooting star that rises to the top. And actually, when you understand that, that your worthiness is based not on what you do, but on who you are in your relationship to God, when you do that, you actually can become the vulnerable, authentic, inspiring person that you really want to be anyway. And all of a sudden, you're like a firework that shoots up into the sky, and you're seen by others. And that's where Jesus says, you're a light in the world, and your light shines before people, not so that they will affirm you, but because you know who you are, and you're taking off into the world's. So the question becomes, have you ever entered into that personal relationship with God where you know you're his child, where you've answered the question once and for all of where your worthiness comes from, where your value comes from? If you never have, I'm going to pray right now, and I'm going to give you a chance to give your life to God, to say, God, I want to have a relationship with you. I want to experience your forgiveness. I want to be your child. And when you do that, it's a game changer because now that deep desire you have to be known, to be acknowledged, to feel worthy, that you've been striving for in the things that you do, all of a sudden, it's cemented forever right here. Because you know who you are. You're God's child, and he loves you, and he's pleased with you. If you're ready to make that decision, I'm going to give you a chance to do that right now. So would you join me? Let's pray together. As we pray, if you're ready to commit your life to God, to start this journey with him, you can repeat these simple words. Say, Lord Jesus... I want to have a relationship with you. I want to be God's child. So would you come into my life? Would you forgive me of my sin? Would you fill me with your Holy Spirit? 
Would you show me who I am in relationship to you? Would you let me know how deeply I am loved and how valuable I am so that I could shine in this world? I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.